This is How Did You Get That Job, a podcast from Hayes, which uncovers the secrets behind career success in the tech industry. In this special edition of the podcast, we'll be looking at why you should think about a career within the tech industry. We've interviewed a lot of tech professionals as part of this series, and in most cases, these successful high flyers trained in other professions before ending up in the technology industry. In fact, looking at a McKinsey report released in 2022, it uncovered that 44% of tech professionals started in non-tech professions. And if you have only the same type of people in a room, we can maybe tend to just agree. However, if we have a more diverse bunch of people around the table, I think it leads to more questions, it leads to more fact-finding, leads to using data more, and just gets us away from it's how we always did it. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and in this special episode, we'll be joined by James Milligan, who is the Global Head of Technology Solutions at Hayes. Together, we'll be looking at what's needed for a career in tech, how failing can be seen as a positive, and we'll look back at some key moments from the series of How Did You Get That Job? We'll also take a look at what jobs are going to shape the tech industry in 2023. Hey, James, thanks for joining. Great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. Tell me, why do you think tech is a good career path for anyone looking to refresh their career? That's a great question. I think it's one of the areas of the job market where there is a really high demand for skills and there's limited availability of those skills. So it's kind of future-proofed. We have a, a situation where there's sort of exponential growth in jobs and there's not enough talent coming onto the market to meet that demand. Also, there's many people that work in technology whose careers didn't start in technology. They moved from other functional roles into technology and having that broader business experience really helps people understand what technology is required within a business for that business to grow and be successful. And we certainly have discovered from our guests through this series, the tech industry is really open to all backgrounds, isn't it? Absolutely. It's open to all backgrounds. In fact, it's kind of a necessity because technology is used by everybody. And if only a small select group of people who are building the technology, then it doesn't reflect broader society. Yeah. Actually, what you're saying there was mentioned by Rebecca Keenan. Let's take a listen. You know, if I look at my team, we have people who they were teachers in their first career, they were builders, and then they went back and did kind of an IT conversion course. There's lots of studies out there that show time and time again that having diverse teams is good for the bottom line. It's good for everyone involved. Day to day, what I see with more diverse teams, just in my own personal experience, is I think you tend to get away from that, well, this is what we always did conversation. We're going to do it this way because... Jimmy before me did it and Sarah before him did it that way. And, you know, it's just always been this way. And if you have only the same type of people in a room, we can maybe tend to just agree. However, if we have a more diverse bunch of people around the table, I think it leads to more questions. It leads to more fact finding, leads to using data more and just gets us away from it's how we always did it. That kind of backs up what you were just saying, James. I mean, any more thoughts around that? I think there's many instances in technology where the tech's been built by a small group of people who look and feel like each other. And therefore, that sort of reflects and successful for that same group of users. But for people from a much broader societal background, it doesn't work. And that's really why it's important to have very diverse and inclusive teams building engineering products and services so that it reflects the broader society that can use it. I think you know, gender is a really important representation. I think people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people who have different challenges in life. And if you are more inclusive, then your products are going to be broader 
and more inclusive and give a much better user experience as a result. Yeah, James, you talked about the gap between people who are available for technical job and the number of tech jobs in the industry. I mean, what role do businesses play in basically shrinking that gap? Great question, Sean. It's not an easy and simple answer. But I think there's sort of three key areas that are playing into this, right? They're all interdependent on one another. You've got the education system keeping young people engaged and interested in technology, and they can't do that by themselves. But, you know, having enough people going through that process at the end, there's enough talent coming into the market. And not just looking at traditional methods like, you know, university degrees, but looking at more flexible learning like modern apprenticeships, for example, which has been sort of a key focus in many countries globally. The second one then is around government. So government providing the right frameworks to get enough people coming into that sector, having the right incentives in place for, you know, to encourage career changes or people from non-traditional backgrounds into technology. And then the final role is business, you know, and business needs to be open-minded about where they get talent from. Gone are the days where everybody can bring in a software developer with five years relevant experience that hits 100% of the job spec every time. Businesses need to be flexible in their thinking and, you know, if you look at Hayes, some of the challenges we're addressing specifically in the UK is we've got organizations that are looking to hire, but they don't have access to those skills. So we're building out apprenticeship programs, taking people from non-traditional backgrounds, maybe wouldn't necessarily been considered for careers in technology, people that maybe don't have a university degree or they've recently left the military or you know they've suffered from other challenges in life, which means that they haven't had the access to the opportunity and putting them for a program and skilling them. And then ultimately, you know, the employers take them on at the end of that. So I think there's a whole host of things that can be done but it requires some innovation, some flexibility, and it requires all of those different parties working together and collaborating to start to address this challenge, which ultimately is a massive opportunity because we've got people who are out of work or maybe in work that isn't where they want to be in the long term. And if we can start working together to get people back into the workforce or upskilling people, then ultimately businesses win and the individuals win, everybody wins. So a massive opportunity. Now, let's take a listen to some clips from our series, starting with CIO Ivan Wu, and then Sean Akindeli, the head of data and innovation in the charity sector. I think the whole world is so different compared to where we come from. But I really think you can change industry every two years or less nowadays. You can learn anything. But I think to me is practicing something that you like. If you're into like digital marketing right now, spend six months on this. But don't just jump every other month. You do need to put your passion into a six to 12 month journey to test. You want to be hands-on. You want to get on it. You want to practice something, communicating your thought with people, getting input. Because if you are really into Azure, Cloud, AWS, you can become a certified architect in three months time if you put your heart to it. Because the tool is so much available online. But my advice to the newer generation is find something that you're interested other than Netflix and uh, Disney+. Plus. Put your time on it for like six to 12 months. Ivan, I really like Netflix though. Well, I like Netflix myself, but not <laughs> six to 12 months continuously. But I think it's put your time into it six to 12 months. Do peer reviews. Talk to your friends. Talk to someone elder than you. Talk to someone younger than you. Get feedback. Move on. Then just take ownership on what you want to do. Because it's your life. I don't think in anyone, of, including myself, is capable to tell you what is your right path to do, what is your right step to take. But when you explore a few different things, then pick something that you think, mm, I really like interest with this. Then put in the effort. You need to make mistakes. 
when you work for something you're passionate about, tears, joy doesn't really matter. It's just part of the journey. So definitely people who love what they do are ambitious and then looking to really learn and really challenge themselves. People who can pivot and make change and be able to take that data and go, it's telling me a completely different thing. Now we make change, not be full hard and just go with what they believe that should happen. I think hiring for the team is hiring people that are better than me, who know a lot more than me and who can deliver on our objectives and our strategy for the organization as well. It is really difficult hiring into charity, some of these type of roles, particularly the product roles, because the last few years are, you know, famous in lots of other organizations and they're the stars of the show and they have massive budgets. But finding people who are ready to roll their sleeves up and get the work done is really important as well. And now you'll hear from Ellen Wu and secondly, John DeCrane. I definitely think with the technology that's changing, the speed is changing. With the right attitude and the willingness to learn, I think is a very, very important criteria when we look for talent. Because many skills change and then evolve and develop. But I do think if you're really special, very niche and special area that you have, you know, spent hours and hours perfecting a coding language that nobody else in the world can compete with you, we will hire you as well. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, the willingness and being able to learn is very important in the talent that we look for. The successful cybersecurity programs deal in intelligence and they make risk-averse, risk-tolerant appetite decisions based on intelligence, not based on emotional sort of understanding. They take a large set of intelligence, they put it on a table and they parse through it and they make choices based on that intelligence. Be the one that helps them understand what's necessary to make those choices, to understand how your intelligence interplays with other sets of intelligence help folks make good decisions. You will be noticed. James, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the rapid development in tech? I, I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, there's technologies that exist today that didn't exist five years ago. There's a whole new set of skills that's required to utilize those technologies. And the exciting thing is, in five years' time, there'll be a whole new host of technology and jobs that will exist then that doesn't exist today. And, you know, it's people who are here today that will be doing those jobs so that, you know, in continuing to invest in your skills and your own personal development gives you the opportunity to be at the forefront of this technological innovation. So very exciting. And James, I know just from the times that you and I've talked, you have a pretty technical background. How do you keep yourself up to date? What are you resources that you use? A combination of speaking to my peers within the business who are subject matter experts, whether that be in relation to RPA or or Salesforce, speaking to our customers about what they're doing, what their challenges are and where the opportunities are and how they're utilizing technology is another key way of staying up to speed. And the same with our candidates who are subject matter experts in certain technical disciplines. And then on top of that, I spend quite a lot of time listening to podcasts. I like podcasts. It's a good way to consume. In particular, when you're traveling, I do quite a lot of traveling with my job. So in airports and then planes and then reading as well. You know, I do a lot of online reading and various different news sites and technology sites. And then finally attending events. I always find that if you attend the right events, networking with the right people, listening to the right keynote speakers, it's a really great way to get insight around what's on trend and the types of challenges that organizations are facing 
facing and how they're thinking about overcoming those challenges. So it's not just one thing, it's a whole host of different things that I do to keep up to speed in relation to technology. In several of the episodes, we've had guests talk about the need to strip the emotions out of decisions, and they look for people who can build intelligence to make decisions. What was interesting is that they mentioned to not be afraid about making the wrong decision as it helps you learn. Let's hear first from Sean Jevons and then Dave Messenger. One of the bits that actually was quite a revealing for me was that actually you have to be very open to being wrong. The way digital and customer interactions have changed and the complexity of all the layers, I think there are no experts in a lot of cases. I think being able to orchestrate people rather than or coordinate people or collaborate or challenge people, that's more the skill nowadays for a lot of managers, whether you're a chief digital officer or whatever, you're a general manager. A lot of it nowadays is being able to kind of leverage the talents. So it's it's kind of getting people to collaborate, getting people to understand all the inputs and try and shape them and see which ones might be more relevant, more important. And the ones that you want to emphasize or play up or play down. So I think it's that T-shaping is actually the skill. So if I was to encourage people to do anything, I would say broaden your skill set. The other thing I look for is people who've actually got knocked down, people who've actually hit a wall. And, you know, if you've got someone with a perfect resume, everything is they went to the top tier school, Yale, Harvard, they went to a blue chip, great company, everything was successful all the way through. I hesitate before hiring people like that because it's only when someone goes through a fundamental challenge, they get knocked down hard, but they come back that you know you've got someone who's resilient and who's actually learned from their experience. So James, you actually recently wrote an article on Hayes website where you outlined the top tech jobs for 2023. Tell me a little bit more about this. It's really interesting because all of the sort of usual suspects that you'd expect to be in there were in there, like in relation to DevOps and software development and data and cyber, because they're markets where there's very high demand because of you know accelerated digital transformation and the limited to my supply of skills, right? So you know, going back to my previous answers there, that that's sort of perfect conditions for people moving into technology to upskill. However, three of the top 10 are around sort of change and transformation, which is quite reassuring given sort of the current sense around the global macroeconomic conditions. So business analyst was number one and project manager number three and number 10 was change manager. You can read into that that organizations are still continuing to invest in change and transformation and you know, moving from the current state to the future state. And that's obviously a continuous thing, despite maybe some of the broader narratives. So I'm quite buoyed by the insights that we've seen. And that was based on the data that we looked at within global job demand across Hayes 33 countries over the last six months of 2022. And that continued to be true right into December, right? Where it's early 2023 now, and those trends continue. So I'm quite positive about what this year is now going to bring. Yeah, it's interesting. Those three skills that you mentioned, those are heavily dependent on interpersonal skills. Absolutely. And actually, when we're speaking to our customers, one of the things that they say to us and candidates is the technical skills is one thing. And I suppose you can go and do an accreditation or do some online learning around the technical skills, but the soft skills are equally 
if not more important in those roles now. Gone are the days where you work in technology and you sit in a darkened room and you don't speak to a human being for days on end. You know, everybody is customer facing, whether they're internal customer facing or external customer facing these days. And having those critical interpersonal skills is key to having a successful career in technology. Yeah, for those listening, I mean, what advice can you share to securing these roles or any roles within technology? My first piece of advice would be just understand what you want in the role. There's lots of roles out there in many different types of organizations using lots of different types of technology, but try and understand your preferences because not all of those things are going to be what you're looking for. So whether it's working in a certain sector, if you're in public sector, you know, and social purpose is important for you, maybe that's something you need to prioritize over working in big tech or whether you want to work in a small organization that's more agile, that's scaling than a large organization where maybe you're in a more defined role. So I think it's really key to try and understand your personal preferences and what those things are that drive you. When you've understood that and you're actively looking, then it's trying to map out those opportunities with those types of organizations. Working with a recruitment business like Hayes is a good way of doing that because they'll have those relationships and insights that they're able to offer. And then when you do start actively engaging, make sure you're bespoke in your approach. So don't send the same CV to everybody. Look at what the job role requirements are finesse your skills and your experience to align to those requirements. Because these days, you know, a lot of the first stop in the recruitment journey is going through an ATS or an applicant tracking system and software or a human being at the other end may discount you if they don't see your ability to demonstrate what they're looking for as you go through that process. And then as you work your way through that process, you know, remember that finding a new jobs, a two-way process, it's not about the employer or your potential employer just assessing you. It's about you assessing that employer for fit. You know, it's one of the biggest decisions you make in your life, you know, changing jobs. So you need to make sure you make the right decision as you go through that journey. Yeah, that's great advice. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sean. To look more in depth at the articles referencing the top jobs in tech in 2023, or to find further advice about careers in tech, then visit www.expertsintechnology.hayes.com. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and you've been listening to a special episode of How Did You Get That Job? To never miss an episode of this podcast, make sure you hit follow wherever you get your podcasts.